0: All right, all right. Well, good to see you, everybody. Um, We're just going to spend a few minutes here tonight in John chapter 15. It may be a little while before we get there, but I'd invite you to go ahead and grab a Bible if you don't have one uh, and turn to John 15 or grab your phone and swipe to John 15. What we're doing tonight is wrapping up a sermon series called Risen, Living Life in the Living Christ that's taken us from Easter uh, to... This weekend, which is Pentecost. How many of you know Pentecost or Pentecost Sunday? Yes? It's a time when the church remembers and looks back to the time the Holy Spirit, who was always present, became resident. And in a powerful and incredible way, we see in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends, just like Jesus said he would, and empowers and inhabits and fills. Um, The very first followers of Jesus. So um, that happened after Easter. And so from Easter to now, we've been in this series, Risen. And tonight, we're just going to spend a few minutes uh, wrapping up that series. Uh, What you know also, and what we've already mentioned uh, this evening is that during this season we raised or set out to raise money for the orphanage in Bungoma, Kenya. And uh, here in a minute, at this moment, Pastor Bud is counting, and we will announce here later uh, if we, I don't know, if we reached our goal or not, uh, to help send every dime of this money we collected to support education and medicine and just the goings-ons of the people who love those kids uh, present to them because we're all the way over here. But we can still be present to them in prayer, and so that's what we're going to do at the end of our service. Robin Craddock, who does so much good work with uh, the Keisler Home, is going to lead us in a time where we can take a picture of uh, these beautiful 56 kiddos and we get to pray over them and uh, just kind of close off this season of raising money but certainly as Toby said earlier not close off this season of partnership with them so thank you all for giving and for just uh, giving your hearts and your prayers in this time. Okay, so we're in John 15, Um, I'm going to read that here in a moment, but before we do that, would you just take a moment, close your eyes, take a deep breath, maybe for the first time today. A lot of you women coming back from the retreat had just a quick second to catch your breath and get up here, so maybe let's just take a moment and pray this prayer together. Jesus, maybe just silently in your heart, Jesus, I've been raised with you. So may I remain in you. Jesus, I've been raised with you. May I remain in you. Let's just breathe that quietly as a prayer to our God. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to the Lord. Well, uh, as we finish up this series, Risen, I want to just rehash our focus statements that we've been looking at each week And I contend to you that life in the living Christ isn't just something to be believed, it is something to be lived. I am a major believer that Christianity is not just a series of strange and mystical doctrines to say, yes, I agree with that, but it is actually something these doctrines, these beliefs inform our behavior. And Christianity is a lived faith. It does you very little good to say, I believe in loving my neighbor, if you don't actually go and love your neighbor. It makes little to no, no, it makes no difference if you believe, oh yeah, I agree with loving my neighbor, but I'm going to hate my neighbor. That makes the world a very bad place. It doesn't involve the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. So Christianity is something to be lived, not just something to be believed And your life is a part of the new creation that has come in and through the resurrection of Jesus. This kingdom has come, this new creation has come, and it will come fully. And it's all because Jesus was raised. So, Easter was not just a fun day a few weeks ago that we celebrate and get a bunch of Easter eggs. Easter is the day we remember that Jesus is alive, that he lives in us, and we've got work to do. And because he's alive, we live, and so it matters in our real, actual lives. So, this evening, I really just want to spend a few moments kind of saying, okay, so what? We've been looking at the book of Acts, we've been looking at all these characteristics from that first church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, radically transformed by the risen Jesus, and we see things like healing is a... a, consequence and a characteristic of this new creation freedom from sin and evil and death is a consequence of this resurrection we've seen boldness to go out we've seen all of these things but now I want to kind of tie it all together and say you know what this is all well and good but sometimes if you're like me you read the book of acts and you say you know what I've never raised anybody from the dead you know what I never walked up to a guy who couldn't walk and say hey dude I ain't got any cash but tell you what in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Have y'all ever done this to the guy at 75 right before you get on? Y'all ever done any? No? Man, you guys are terrible Christians. <laughs> that sounds crazy, but this might be how we feel when we approach the New Testament, the book of Acts, and we say, whoa, these dudes are awesome. Because what we experience is this. I still have these nagging hurts and habits, and hang-ups, how can I go and say, get up and walk, when I feel like my own walk with Jesus is constantly ensnared by this sin and this wicked, like, just gross, like, ugh. I just can't seem to shake this stuff. Am I the only one that has felt this way in my Christian life? Our experience tells us that we might just be a dirty old sinner. And we think that this is a good thing because it's a church word, it's a Bible word. Sinners. We're sinners. We're taught that we're sinners. And so when I got to thinking about our experience, validating this idea that, well, you know what, I'll never measure up to the people in Acts, because my life is kind of a mess, so Adam, you can go and preach all week that Jesus is alive and he's living in me, but you know what, it just doesn't feel this freedom and boldness and healing and all these things we've been talking about, because my experience is one where I feel constantly tripped up and ensnared by these habits that just won't quit. So, tonight, I want to get really just kind of practical, but not practical in a way of here's steps one, two, three, four to seven to a healthier, wealthier you. I want to get really practical to say, let me tell you that maybe you've got your identity wrong. A.W. Tozer, who is a Christian writer, said the most important thing about a person is his or her view of God. And I want to say, I think the second most important thing about a person is their view of themselves. And I think that all this living life in Christ will be a non-starter, false start, deal breaker if we don't get who we are in Christ before we go and follow Christ. So if I want to tweak that statement up there just for this evening, I would say something like this. Life in the living Christ isn't just something to be believed. It's something to be lived. I would shift that and say, how about this? Life in the living Christ is something both to be believed and to be lived. And here's what I mean by that. Stay with me. What if you actually believed what the New Testament says 164 plus times? that you actually were raised in new life with Christ? What if you actually believed 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, if anyone is in Christ, so if you are in Christ, listen, here's some good news. New creation has come. The old is gone The old has passed away, behold, wake up, look up. You may not experience this because of the hang-ups and habits and hurts, but behold, wake up, snap out of it, you have been raised and new creation has come. What if we actually believed it? What if we actually believed places like Romans 6, where Paul says, if you were buried with Him in baptism into death, you have died with Christ. All that old mess was washed off in the waters when you said, Jesus, you're my Lord, I've made a mess of my life, you're it, you're all I've got. What if we believed that what Paul says is true, that anyone who's been buried in baptism through death has been raised to new life in Christ, and you can actually go and live as a new creation? What if... None of this life will matter if you continue to believe that you are defeated, that you're not doing it right, and that the Christian life is not an easy yoke to walk with Jesus. It is an impossible yoke without Jesus. That I just gotta do a bunch of nice things and believe the right way, and this kind of life that we've been talking about has no bearing on my day-to-day life. It took me, let me tell you honestly, 15 years, and I'm still trying to believe this, it's taken me 15 years to actually believe that maybe the narrative that defines me is not I am Adam and I am a sinner. Maybe it's I am Adam and I am one who in whom Christ dwells. It's taken me 15 years, and here's what I mean. 15 years ago, I had a job at a Christian bookstore. And I was exposed to these two competing narratives, okay? These narratives of identity, of belief, okay? I was at a Christian bookstore. We were closing up, and I was at the cash register, and this sweet old church lady comes up with a stack of books. I don't remember what she was reading, but all I was reading was stuff that made me feel really smart, And really theological. I mean, I had read all this stuff, and I was just so convinced, you know, we're totally depraved. And da 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 -da, And we're just wicked worms and sinners and blah-blah-blah. Man, thank God that God saved us, because I am still a worm in His eyes. I'm confident that He's out to get me. So I better behave and do right. Okay? This was my identity. This was my narrative. I was working for God, not walking with God. So I'm sweet little Adam at a Christian bookstore in Mesquite, Texas. And uh, this sweet church lady comes up to me. And I don't know how we got on this conversation, but I'll never forget this conversation because she said, You know what? Man, something just really rocked me. And I really feel like God has really transformed my life. And I'm like, Okay, here we go. Here's another Christian trying to talk about Christian stuff in a Christian bookstore. Like, what do I expect? These sweet church ladies always want to tell you what's going on in their lives and how God has changed their life. So I'm already, like, mad because we're closing up and I don't want to hear you, sweet church lady. But she says this, I realized this week that when Jesus sees me, He sees beloved, cared for Mary. And when the Father, Abba, looks... He loves me. With or without Jesus, I believe he loves me. But now that I'm in Christ, and this is what screwed me up. Now that I'm in Christ, what defines me is not I'm a sinner. What defines me is I'm a saint. What defines me is I'm a beloved daughter of God. And I said, well, wait, I mean, but we still sin. She's like, well, yes, yes, we still sin. But, But the thing is, like, that doesn't define us. And I said, okay, I said, if I ride a bike, okay, some some might call me a biker, okay? If I sin, some might call me a sinner, right? Because you are what you do. And then she says this, no, you are who God says you are. And I went into my New Testament, and I tried to find, and I want you to do this, because I didn't do this this week, I tried to find when God refers to the people in Christ as sinner. And what I mean by this is not one who sins, but one who is defined by this old way of life that Jesus came and gave his life to abolish. What we see is 164 times, just in Paul's writings in the New Testament, this continual, I'm not giving up insistence of this phrase in Christ or in Him or in the Lord 164 times. So what defines us? Our mistakes and the nagging sin that still remains, yes, it still remains, or the fact that you are one in whom Christ dwells. If we get this narrative wrong, And we persist in saying, I will never change. God cannot transform me. What you're saying is, I don't believe in the power of God. What you're saying is, I don't believe in the power of the resurrection. I don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And I don't believe that God can do what he says he can do. Because we have got a big book that would beg to differ of God interacting with people and shaping and transforming their narrative in which, like my wife said earlier, I'm not inadequate. I, I, I'm not bad. I'm not, I'm not incapable. I am loved. When we get this narrative right... I believe we can begin to see that Jesus is who He says He is and God can do what He says He can do. And the New Testament bears witness to this reality. So I want to throw open uh, 164... No, I'm just kidding. We're going to do a few smatterings of the 164 that because I want to wrap up soon I want you to take a picture with your phone this slide okay everyone get your phones out get your camera going and take a picture of this slide this is how many is this one two three four five six seven eight nine nine do you want me to pose The camera knows what's up. <laughs> Take a picture of this. These are 9 of the 164 that I want you to this week read until it's real. Because my little statement tonight is a risen life starts with your identity in Christ, right? Believing that he actually is who he says he is, he can do what he says he can do, and then it grows by remaining in Christ, Okay, let me say that again. A risen life starts with your identity in Christ, okay? Who am I, right? It starts with your identity in Christ, and the risen life grows by remaining in Christ, okay? That's not a seven steps to success. That is simply this. Wake up to who you are and let that be the dominant narrative in your life. Okay, I was a part of a 12-step recovery. I love 12-step spirituality. And in AA meetings and NA meetings, uh, Narcotics Anonymous or Overeaters Anonymous, any of the Anonymouses, what they start with is this. I am Adam and I am an addict. Or I am Adam and I am an alcoholic. I am this, my name, and here's what I am. Here's what's on my business card. Do you see this? Adam Wood, addict. Nice. Well, one of the ministries that I was a part of for many years was called Celebrate Recovery. And what I loved about Celebrate Recovery is they took that way of identifying and trying to take the power out of that, taking the stigma out of that, you know, I'm an addict, I'm an alcoholic, but they flipped it and they said this, I am Adam, I am a follower or believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with fill in the blank." I am Adam, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ in recovery from blank. Do you see what they did there? And when you imagine you're in a meeting, large group, small group, every day, twice a week, and you start to name this, all of a sudden, this addiction gets just and oh, just loses a little bit of its power. Because what you're doing and what they're intentionally doing is reading it until it's real. Getting it until it's real. Letting this reality influence your behavior. Letting this belief influence your behavior. So, these are all your identity, yes? These are all your identity. Well, Adam, that's all well and good. But this elephant in the room that you've mentioned but haven't really addressed is, then why do we still sin, okay? Do we still sin? Am I one who sins? Yes, John Wesley said this. I love this, I love this, I love this. Sin remains, but it does not reign. The Greek word for our flesh is sarx. And it's this way of saying it's not just the meat in your body. It's this sinful, fleshly, just kind of base way of operating in a way that is counter to the life that God gives those who are in Christ. Sin, the flesh, sarks, remains, though it does not reign. Romans 7, make a note of this as we continue on through our wrap-up. I'm not going to read it all. Romans 7 is an incredibly famous struggle that Paul, who is one that is in Christ, lives out and talks about when he says, you know, I still do the things that I wish I didn't do. And it really bums me out. That's what, uh, Is that what my Bible says? <laughs> I'm actually double checking that it is Romans 7. This is why you write these things down. But here's what's powerful. What comes before Romans 7 is Romans 6, and Romans 6 I had to memorize in seminary because we wanted to read it until it's real, and it says this, I'll look back at Romans 6, because this is some of my favorite stuff. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, right? The flesh, the body, this thing that was under the reign of sin and death and the world that's going down the tubes. Well, this body, it's been crucified. Raise your hand if you've been crucified. You wouldn't be able to raise your hand if you're crucified, right? This is the dumbest question I've ever asked. You've not been crucified, but what? You've been united with Him who was. So that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 7, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. If you are in debt on your car note and you die, nobody's going to knock on your coffin and say, give me some money, you missed a payment. You're free from that, it's your spouse's problem. (laughs) You have been set free. What I want you to hear as plainly as I can is this. The battle with sin has already been won. In Christ, you are free from, watch, the guilt of sin. You are no longer owing on the debt that you paid. Jesus did it. You don't have to. Gospel 101. And also, let me tell you this. You're also free from the power of sin in your life. You have a new master. What did he just say? The old self was crucified so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. We're no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free from sin. So here's the thing. The chains have been busted loose and sin is not your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. And what good is it to believe, yes, Jesus is my Lord. It may get you in, but if you don't put that in your body, in your bones, if you don't remain in that truth... You're going to continue to sneak back over to the chains, find them busted up on the floor, put them back over your shoulders and say, you know what? It may be kind of tough on my family. It may be kind of tough on my body and my heart and my head. But, you know, it still feels comfortable and it's still a little bit warm over here. But Jesus beckons to us. Not just when we come to him in faith for the first time, but every day, come to me, come to me, come to me. You've been in the matrix. Your whole worldview has been skewed. And once you've been released, I'm telling you, it's better. The, the reality in real life, the abundant life that I actually said I would give, I'm giving to you, but just come to me, come to me, come to me. A risen life starts with your identity, saying, I am one in whom Christ dwells, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. I've been free from sin, free from the power, free from the guilt, and then getting up and come follow me and living and walking in that reality and says, I am not what I do. I am not what I do. I mentioned CR in 12 steps. I cannot tell you the hundreds of men and women I talked to that says, man, I'm just a bad person. And I said, you know what? I tell my kids, I say, you made a bad choice. I would never look at my daughters and say, you're a bad girl. And I believe that God looks at this world and is grieved and says, look at all these bad choices but look how much I love you. Look how much I've given for you. And we want to go find love, and we want to go find relief, and we want to go find everything apart from the arms of God. And St. Augustine, it was attributed to him to said, the heart is restless until it finds its rest in him. So the second piece of a puzzle is not just getting your belief, your identity right. It is resting in that identity. And this is where John 15 comes into play. I know I missed a couple of those, but I'm going to do it in just a minute. Back to John 15. Jesus says to this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, this is us, right? if we're trying to live in Him and live in the reality and we're bearing the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, He says, yes, yes, keep on. You can do this because I am in you. I'm empowering you. You don't will the fruit. What tree out there is actively just, oh, I want to get an apple out there. It's this combination of being rooted in good soil, of soaking in good sun." and doing what it was made to do. If you are rooted in your identity in Christ, if you are soaking in the power of the Spirit of God, you're doing what He's empowered you, enabled you to do, and that is bear fruit. And so when these ha- hurts and hang-ups and habits and this sin that remains but no longer re- reigns begins to creep up, He says, here is an opportunity for to prune this. And you say, No, but pruning hurts. And he says, I know, but you know what hurts worse? Is continuing to let the weeds overtake you until you're so choked out and you're so darkened that you're destroying relationships that I've created and given you, and that you would be a blessing. And now you're becoming a burden. And you know what also hurts? When you continue that secret addiction, whether it's pornography or substances, and you continue and you persist and you go back to that filthy well, you know what hurts? When you drink that poison through your eyes, when you drink that stuff through your veins, what's happening, what hurts more than pruning is to remain in darkness. What hurts more, I promise you, is the paranoia that you're going to be found out than confessing and resting in the arms of a father who loves you. Let me tell you from experience what hurts more is paranoia being found out than confessing. God is a lot more gracious than we give him credit for. But we've got to believe it. And we've got to believe that we are not what we do. We are beloved. And it's not just who you are that matters. It's whose you are that matters. A child of the father So another statement that I think is on the screen is, through the Holy Spirit within that's helping with this fruit that Jesus is talking about, you've already been given everything you need to live life in Christ. Do you believe that? Well, why do you keep coming back to church? Because I don't have all the answers. Believe me. Ask my wife. Why do you keep coming back to church? Because we need to stay awake to this reality We need to be God's people together. We need to be on mission together. We need to worship together. We need to stay awake to the fact that the Holy Spirit is within us. So you don't need to try harder. You just need to stay awake more. You need to surrender to His way more. It's like what Galatians 5.16, write this down as we wind down. Galatians 5:16, he says this, "I say to you, walk in the spirit, and you won't, gra- you won't gratify the desires of sarks, the flesh. If you are walking in step with Jesus, it's harder to veer off course back to the chains and the dark water you kept returning to." Tell me, yes, you know this from experience. Jesus' yoke is a lot easier than the yoke and burden of the chains of sin that we want to crawl back under. And you've already been given everything you need. What you need is a new approach, and that is to believe that you are one in whom Christ dwells. Actually get it into your bones, and it may take the rest of your life, and then just rest and remain in that reality. Jesus, in his parting words to the disciples that we've read tonight in John 15, he doesn't say, hey, remember what I told you when you go and cast out that demon. Hey, remember what I told you about feeding the poor and loving the lost and touching the lepers and going to the margins of society. Remember what I told you about speaking truth to Roman power. Confess that I am Lord. And if people would believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with their mouth that God raised Him from the dead, they will be saved. Remember this. Remember this. They're about to come. Judas is about to Let's go. Let's go. Remain in me and all of this will come. Remain in me and all this will come. And by the way, I'm sending you a helper. And it's called the Holy Spirit. And it's better that I go and He comes. We need to remain. We start with the identity and we grow by remaining. I say to you, walk in the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of your flesh. James Bryan Smith, who's been hugely influential. He was mentored by Richard Foster, Dallas Willard, and Henry Nowen. That's not even fair. By the way, Rich Mullins, who is like one of my 90s heroes when I was a little kid. Um, I was a little kid in the 90s. I'm sorry. Um, lived in his house. Rich Mullins lived in his house. This guy's awesome. James Bryan Smith. He's been hugely influential for Bud and I. If you all found it hard to read Richard Foster, if you all found it hard to read Dallas Willard, read three books that I'll tell you about by James Bryan Smith he takes all that mess and he makes it livable and relatable for you, me, and your brother and sister and your dog down the street. It's called the good and beautiful God is what it starts with. A lot of this that I'm saying tonight has really found its like uh, clarity in him. The good and beautiful God. Why? You've got to start with the right picture of God. Then the next book is called the good and beautiful life. Okay, now what? Now you can actually get up and go. And then the third book is called The Good and Beautiful Community. Why? Because you got to do it with others. It's easier to stay awake with others. So he says this in closing, these two quotes from him. He says, so here's the subtle shift of what I mean to rest and remain and abide in Christ. I am not trying to live a sinless life like Jesus. And what he means by that is I'm not going out guns blazing, white knuckling and say, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. I'm going to try to love this person. He says, I'm not trying to live a sinless life like Jesus. Jesus, who lived a sinless life, is living in me. Jesus, who lived a sinless life, is living in me. And that is that subtle shift that takes that narrative and helps you read it until it's real. When you see all these insistence that He is in you and you are in Him. This is what He says elsewhere. So what do we do? What does this remaining or that word abiding means? He says, to abide means to rest in And rely on Jesus, watch, who is not outside of us, judging us, but is inside of us, empowering us. How many of you would it just change and rock your world to have moments like I've had, by God's grace, along the journey, to just have this shift where Jesus is not out here wagging his finger, He is close to me, near me, and he is embracing me and pushing me on to say, man, whoever asked you to work for me, I'm asking you to work with me. Whoever told you that God hates you man, God loves you. I remember this powerful exchange that a a guy I knew said He, he had a narrative issue with God. And this spiritual director mentor asked him, Do you believe that God loves you? And here's what he said. We were sitting here in California at this lunch. He says, yes, God loves me because I am robed in Christ. I am clothed in Christ. And when God sees me, he sees the son who has imputed his righteousness on my behalf. And then the spiritual director said, okay, take off the cloak. Does God love you? And that's all he had to say. And I think it set him on a journey to say that Jesus is not out here and he's just something to keep us from an angry God. Jesus has been given by a loving Father to empower us to live the way that he is calling the world to live. And finally, James Bryan Smith says this So the best approach to this kind of life, if I were to just like say, whatever I said in the last six weeks, you know, take it or leave it. But maybe this is all I was trying to say. The best approach is to keep, watch, soaking in the truth of our identity in Christ. One, practicing spiritual disciplines that deepen those truths. And let me remind you about this. Spiritual disciplines are not about doing. They're about more not doing and opening yourself up to let God do what he's been wanting to do. We've done so much work on spiritual disciplines, and every time we do a class, I want to tell you it's less about you going and doing something and more about you just going and doing nothing and opening up to what God wants to do. Unless you think that I'm talking about more work, I'm saying no, more surrender, more rest. Then finally, and being a part of a community that will reinforce those truths. Can I tell you how thankful I am for a community, for a church? that welcomes anybody who comes in these doors and says, this person was made in the image of God. And we keep it real here, and we just want to say, kind of what you see is what you get. And we try to love each other well. And it gets messy, because we're doing it together. And we've been doing it for a while, a lot of us. But I am so grateful to be a part of a community That wants to not stand outside judging, but stand alongside empowering. And reminding each other, you are one in whom Christ dwells. You are beloved. You are valuable. You are worthy. You are good. I am so grateful to be a part of a community that does this. The best approach to living life in the living Christ is to keep soaking in the truth of our identity in Christ. You've been raised with Him. You've been raised with Him. He is within you. Practicing the spiritual disciplines throughout your day. I'm not telling you if you need to go out tomorrow and spend four hours in the woods like these ladies did. What I'm telling you is, take Jesus to work with you. How would that look tomorrow? Tomorrow's Sunday. What does that look like Monday if you're going to work? You have a whole day to think about it. To keep practicing these spiritual disciplines that deepen those truths and then being a part of a community that will reinforce those truths. I tell you it's easier to do it with others. Let's close. A risen life starts with your identity in Christ, and it grows by remaining in Christ. Jesus, we have been raised with you. May we remain in you. We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.